0: Welcome to SBC this week. I'm Brandon Porter. Laura Erlinson is here with me. Laura, it is Super Bowl weekend.
1: Yeah, it's getting close.
0: It is just around the corner. Yep. Who? Who who are you going with?
1: You know, I really don't care.
0: Yeah. Who's playing in the Super Bowl?
1: Um, I do know that. I care enough okay. to know that it's the Chiefs and the 49ers, but okay, good. I will say that uh, if if I have to pick, I would pick the 49ers just because the Chiefs won last year, but I really okay. don't care all that much. If the Titans were in it, I would care. If the Bucks were in it, I would care, but yeah. otherwise, I don't really care that much. I, I mean, you. I was a Joe Montana fan back in the day, but I don't know that that matters either.
0: Well, it absolutely matters. I mean, that, that's all that matters. So uh, that's I'm I'm reliving fourth grade, thinking about Joe Montana and Yep, Jerry Rice and Dwight Clark and lots of oh, other. Oh um, Ronnie Steve. Lott, lots of Forty Nine er names from from days gone by. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so <laughs> yeah, anyway. I can only
1: name Joe Montana. Well, I know who Jerry Rice is too. But
0: yeah, that's right. Wow. Anyway, all right. So hang on to that. That that's going to play a role in the end of the podcast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Getting we'll we'll, ready. we'll tie it all together. I actually have like a
1: million people coming to my house on Sunday night to watch the game. So do you? I have a lot to do.
0: You are the 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 site in Goodlettsville for viewing the Super Yes.
1: Uh, at least you know this little neck of the woods. Yeah. Okay. Well, my Sunday school class is is coming over, so it'll okay. be more than just Goodlettsville. I guess they're from kind of all over the place. But okay. lots of kids running around, lots of people, and lots of food. It'll all be all right. Maybe we should say we may what or time may not to, watch the game.
0: <laughs> maybe we need to tell folks what time to show up in case any of the <laughs> listeners want to pop in It's
1: so. just before kickoff. Anytime. Okay.
0: All right. Sounds good. All right. Uh, well, let's start out. Lots going on this week, Laura. We we try to cram in a lot of news into the short amount of times because there is always a lot happening at Baptist yep. Press. So just starting right here out of the gate um, with our CP numbers for January, uh, they came in this week. We had a story earlier this week. Uh, monthly budget amount was nineteen five nineteen million five hundred twenty one thousand. Uh, the January giving was eighteen million six hundred sixty three thousand five sixty five point one eight that comes out to four point three nine below budget um, a difference of just over eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars uh year to uh, year giving um the fiscal year which started back in the fall um, it's about three point three six percent below budget at this point um we're about two point eh, $2.3 million or so behind in giving towards CP um, at this point in the fiscal year. Laura, one thing we want to make sure folks are aware of as they look at that story on Baptist Press is that we're now doing dynamic budgeting. Um, that's something that Mike Bianchi, who is the interim CFO um, at the EC, and Jonathan Howe, the interim president's CEO, put into place. And um, that that helps people see a need. Rather than dividing it by 12, it helps people mm-hmm. see the, a more accurate picture of the, the need. Need as a year flows.
1: yeah. and if, if you read BP closely, you read these stories every month when we publish them and you may have noticed that that the number now instead of it being the same number every month, just the the total divided by 12, it now is cha- it changes every month based on what the need is for that month and what the trends have been for that month. And so yeah, we are a little bit down. Uh, we're uh, 3.36 percent down year to date for the fiscal year like you said. Um, So not the best news, but also not just devastating news certainly can be made up. And um, and as next month's total is going to be different from this month. And so and and it all depends on when the states give Mm -hmm. and how things are forwarded. There's all kinds of variables that go into this number. But we would, of course, like to see that number go up a little bit.
0: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, on February 5th, pre-registration opened for the annual meeting in Indianapolis. Uh, lots of things opened up February the 5th. And so that's all live at Um, This next story um, is uh, points us in that direction toward Indianapolis this week, uh, Florida Pastor Dean and Sarah said that he intends to nominate Brad Witt, who was a Georgia pastor, um, at the 2024 SBC Pastors Conference to be the president of the 2025 SBC Pastors Conference.
1: Yeah, this is our first nomination so far, or nomination announcement so far about the um, SBC Pastors Conference president. And so this would be up for a vote in 2024, but then he would be the president of the Pastors Conference in 2025. And uh, Dean and Sarah is one of our EC members here, Uh, It's going to nominate Brad Witt, who's the pastor of Abilene Baptist Church in Martinez, Georgia. I'm pretty sure you don't say Martinez, that you say Martinez, but I'm sure people will let me know if I'm wrong. Okay. Uh, And Sarah says that Witt has displayed strong integrity, unwavering biblical convictions, and has shown himself to be about the kingdom of God and our cooperative efforts as Southern Baptists.
0: All right. All right. So there you go. Our first intention to nominate um, a president uh, for the Pastors Conference. There are a lot of tricky things there. The president of the Pastors Conference. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, not the pastor of the president's conference, but the president (laughs) of the Pastors Conference. And And he's
1: actually running for president of the 2025 mm -hmm. Pastors Conference, but he's being It'll be elected in 2024. So that's, that's right. a little confusing too sometimes.
0: Yeah. At least Dean waited until 2024 to announce that he didn't do that in 2023. That's That'd right. If you
1: had done it last like a couple of months ago, it would have yeah. been so confusing. Yeah.
0: So we appreciate that, <laughs> Dean. Thanks for giving us some runway here to get into the new yeah. year. So, All right. Another thing that we're thinking about as we head toward Indianapolis uh, this summer is um, the GCR. And um, there is a task force being led by Jay Adkins to take a look at that now that it's been um, a good number of years. And uh, this week we had a story that that not only uh, where we heard from Jay, but we also heard from some other voices who had been a part of uh, the process of the GCR coming into existence back in 2009.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been almost 15 years ago that we really first started talking about the Great Commission resurgence, really more than 15 years. And then in 2009 at the annual meeting, they formed a task force to study it, look into it. And then in 2010, that that task force presented seven recommendations to messengers at the annual meeting, and they were adopted pretty overwhelmingly, even though there had been a lot of uh, controversy leading up to that all throughout after the 2009 convention, all leading all the way up that whole year to 2010. There was just, um, I remember Baptist Press ran a whole series of like point, counterpoint um, uh, pieces about GCR and different people's uh, perspectives on it. Then the recommendations were adopted. Well, then last year in New Orleans, if you were there, you remember they uh, established, there was a motion to establish a new task force to look into the effects of those recommendations. How have they impacted the SBC? Cause they were pretty sweeping changes at uh-huh. the mission boards and the CP allocations and things like that. And so to kind of look into what, what those recommendations have accomplished and did they do what we, they set out to do. And so the, the story in BP is just a pretty good, if you don't know much about it or don't remember it really well, this is a really good jumping off place, Um, To read that story in BP, you kind of get a really good overview of where we are now. There's an interview with Jay Adkins, who's the chairman of the current task force. There is uh, information from a piece written by longtime BP editor, Art Tolston. Many of Uh you know the name Art Tolston. He wrote a very long, comprehensive piece about the GCR and kind of with lots of interviews with the key players. And with people that have been critical of GCR, most notably, probably uh, Chuck Kelly, who is the longtime president of New Orleans Seminary, has even written a book um, talking about the GCR and uh, critical of those recommendations. And so uh, just a really good story in BP this week, a lot of good links to old BP stories, a a link to Art Tolston's piece that's uh, even more in-depth and And just comprehensive, and so I would urge you to look into that as we head into Indy, as you've been again thinking about um, what we're going to hear with regards to that task force.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, Speaking of Art, just a few weeks ago, Art brought us an idea for a story on a missionary um, who um, is a long-time Southern Baptist missionary um, over a hundred years ago, and Mm -hmm. um, and has. Just sort of been forgotten about, Laura. Yeah. Um, And yeah, over 150
1: years ago, like a long time, he uh, almost. And he art still works in our building, even though he retired from Baptist Press. He couldn't Mm -hmm. get away from the (laughs) SBC building in downtown Nashville. And so he works in the historical library and archives. And one of the things he's doing is looking through missionary biographies. And he brought this one to our attention because he had never heard of this guy, and I had never heard of this missionary named T.J. Bowen. Thomas Jefferson Bowen was his name. Mm-hmm. And you had never heard of him, and we we're like, how have we never no. heard of this man? He was a pioneer, I mean, a real pioneer in missions. The uh, He was sent to Africa just shortly after the SBC was constituted in 1845. He was sent within a few years. He was on his way to Africa, sent by the, what was then the Foreign Mission Board. Of the SBC, and he was the first Southern Baptist to attempt to reach Muslims for Christ, mm-hmm. and he made great strides in Africa. Uh, actually, helped develop uh, linguistics in the Nigerian language, and there were th- those materials were used even up into the 1940s. I mean, he was just revolutionary there. He went farther into the interior of Africa than any Westerner had ever. Then And then he came home. He got sick. His his uh, health just wouldn't let him stay. He was home for a few years and couldn't stand it, wanted to go back to the mission field. But they wouldn't send him all the way back to Africa. It was too far away. So they sent him to Brazil. And he ended up being not only the first Southern Baptist to try to reach Muslims, but the first Southern Baptist to go to South America. And he established Baptist mission work in Brazil. And he was extremely well known in his time in the 1860s and such. He was um, very well known, like national magazine articles and newspaper articles written about him and his work and his research was impeccable. And uh, he was very well known. But then a result as a result of just the long-term effects of his illness that he got when he was in Africa, his mental health continued to decline and he came home and he spent the last... 14 years of his life, uh, basically just in obscurity. Hmm. Uh, he had become addicted to alcohol. His hmm. mental health had suffered. He was in and out of facilities for that. Mm-hmm. And so Southern Baptist just sort of, um, he sort of fell off the radar with Southern Baptist because of just the way it ended. And so he had a biographer that did just thousands and thousands of hours of research, all kinds of, of. Uh, original sources and wrote an art uh, a, a biography of him hmm. called the Triumph and Endurance of Forgotten American Hero T J Bowen. Hmm. Jim Hardwick is the author, and so the BP story interviews him, interviews Hardwick. It it, it goes into greater detail about Bowen and his story, and I just kind of hope that maybe this is the beginning of a rehabilitation effort of his memory because that's just really astounding. I read the story and just couldn't believe all the yeah. things that he did, and I'd never heard of him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so that story went out earlier this week and it it immediately resonated with some some of you. I've had several folks say something to me about that story. Um, but then Laura, we also got an email from Tim Van Landigan, um, who is the AMS at the Bowen Baptist Association yep. in Bainbridge, Georgia. And um come to find out that association was named in honor of TJ Bowen.
1: Yeah. Um, and he said people the churches in the association don't even know yeah. what the name is from. He yeah. has to educate them, but it was really neat to receive that email from him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very cool. So all right. Speaking of missions, let's let's keep moving down that that track for just a few moments. Um fantastic piece this week from Jeff Jinn, the vice president of mobilization for the IMB. Um, he was speaking, and and Laura, what he has to say about churches and missions and how how that partnership is so important. It, it is so helpful.
1: Yeah, I loved, uh, specifically, he drew from Romans uh, chapter 15, verse 24, uh, where it's Paul tells the church in Rome or he hadn't, he hadn't even been to Rome yet. But mm-hmm. in his letter to the church there, he said, I hope to see you on my way to Spain and have you help me get there. Mm. And so Jen said, That's an example for us today that even Paul, uh, one of the first missionaries, if not the first, that's how he got where he was going, is yeah. through the support of local churches. And so he just related that to uh, to our time today, and that that's and I know IMB has been focusing on that now for the past couple of years, even more so than they were, on connecting churches with what's going on at the mission field, making more of a direct link to so that you're not just sending your money to IMB, you're actually involved in what's going on, and you are part of what's going on. And it was it's a really it, it was a great uh, a, a great reminder that story. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Dr. Chitwood has talked a lot about the pipeline mm-hmm. um, over the last few years. Um, I know we have some folks in our church who are in the pipeline and uh, Lord willing, will be going out very soon. And um, so excited to see how God is at work there. Uh, speaking of Baptist work and Brazil, in Brazil, and then church mobilization as well, we had a great story from the IMB this week about retired missionaries, Keith and Deborah Jefferson.
1: Yeah, I loved this. Uh, this story sort of combined two of the other stories that we had this week, and that is Baptist work, like you say, Baptist work in Brazil that was pioneered by T.J. Bowen that is still going on yet today. And then also clearly uh, making a clear relationship between churches and what's going on in the mission field. And so Keith and Deborah Jefferson were missionaries in Brazil for about 15 years and helped reach, uh, make great inroads into at least one unreached people group there, where there now are believers and churches among this people group, where there were none Until before the Jeffersons uh, were in Brazil. And so just a really encouraging story about them. But even now that they're retired from the IMB, they still travel to Brazil fairly regularly and they take people with them and their goal. They are African American missionaries and their goal is to mobilize more African American missionaries and churches to get involved in missions and to actually go on mission trips, go to the field and like, and perhaps even get into the pipeline, like what you said. So really encouraging also that one. I just loved it. And really fun pictures with that story. I liked the pictures of the Jeffersons in Brazil. It was really, really cool. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome. All right. So shifting gears, um, get to see our CP dollars flexing their muscle in this episode of SBC right. This Week. That's we've That's good. We've, That's a good way to look yeah, at it. Yeah. yeah we, we, we've been talking about missions. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, church planting and mobilization in just a few moments. But right now, before we get there, we're going to talk about the public policy work that the ERLC is um, undertaking. And just this week, Laura, they have released a brand-new resource, fantastic resource, written by Andrew Walker, who is a former ERLC employee and now assistant professor of ethics and apologetics at Southern Seminary. Um, It's called The Nations Belong to God, and it's 40 different questions covering political topics that are just foundational topics. um, And it's just Q&A, back and forth.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, ERLC President Brent Leatherwood said it is meant to serve as an introduction to political engagement during an increasingly turbulent time. And I always feel like every election cycle is more divisive than the last. (laughs) Uh, It just seems that way to me. And as we're heading into a new presidential election season uh, over the rest of this year, uh, this is really timely and really helpful. And it's and I love that the word um, Brent, Brent Leatherwood says it's patterned often an, the ancient model of catechism. and it it kind of is like that. It's like a catechism. It, they're very foundational questions that it doesn't really take sides or talk about or get into any sort of political debate. It's more fundamental than that. Like the questions are kind of like, uh, kind of like a catechism question, like, what is politics? What should motivate a Christian to engage politically? What is justice? What is the overall goal of Christian political engagement? And it just goes on in that vein. Really helpful, really helpful Mm. things to think through. And each question has a short answer and then a longer answer that goes into more detail. Um, So really helpful resource.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So make sure to check that out at the ERLC's website and uh, download it and maybe something you want to share with uh, friends in your church family. Uh, the NAM trustees, they they were roughing it this week, um, this this winter week, you know, the second week of February, which actually wasn't that terrible. It was pretty warm, you know, um, in a lot, lot yeah, of it was parts here. of the here. I'm not so, sure about yeah. other places. But. That's true. I'm sure there were some cool spots across the U.S. But anyway, um those trustees, they they headed to Puerto Rico. And they weren't <laughs> just going on a NAM vacation. They they were going down there to see how the Lord has been at work um through NAM through SIN Relief um, because Puerto Rico has just been devastated over the mm-hmm. last few years, storm after storm after storm. And, um, you know, poverty has affected it greatly, natural disasters. Then the local government has struggled in many um, situations down there. And so, um, so, Southern Baptists through SIN Relief and through NAM have had the opportunity to come alongside. And on Monday, Laura, NAM trustees visited the SIN Relief Ministry Center. Um, down on the southwest side of San Juan, Puerto Rico, and um, they they got to see firsthand how how Southern Baptists are being able to make an impact there um, in a country that that is or a, yeah a, an island that that is just such great need.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was neat. Those are there were also some neat pictures there and mm-hmm. that with that story from Nam uh, seeing the trustees there at that ministry center and hearing about church planting in Puerto Rico and the things that Southern Baptists are doing to just come alongside uh, believers in the island and and how can we help through like you say just the devastation that they've just one after the other it seems like Uh, another item in that NAM trustee report um, was the change in CFO Uh Uh, Matthew Smith the longtime CFO there at NAM is leaving and Carlos Ferrer who has been uh, at Nam, thirty-one years. I was surprised that it had been that long. I've been seeing his name for a long time. He's a, he's been there thirty-one years. He has previously been the CFO at Nam, and is now uh, taking over that position again. So they made that announcement there in that trustee story. What they did not announce was how do you become a NAM trustee? Because (laughs) if they get to go to Puerto Rico and such, I might be interested. I'm just putting my name out there for consideration.
0: Yeah. we'll we'll do some digging on their website, see if there's a (laughs) hidden button somewhere on there. (laughs) All right. Um, Another story from NAM, uh, urban church planning. Doug Logan is the new director of urban church planning at NAM, uh, the SIN Network's goal. Um, has always been to help create clear pathways for urban church planters, uh, to create on-ramps into ministry for them and then provide the support they need. Laura Doug Logan will come on. Um, he's got experience as a church planter. He's got experience in an urban setting, and mm-hmm. he's he's come on to, to help lead that endeavor.
1: Yeah, it was a really neat story about just his uh, history growing up in Camden, New Jersey, which is a pretty— rough town uh you know i've you've heard about the crime Uh rate there in camden and and how the lord has just really gotten a hold of him and it just the story just goes through his a little bit of his biography and how he came to be where he is now helping uh with urban church planning at nam and it was it was just inspiring i felt like i mean this was this is a young man who by all accounts maybe would have ended up in a totally different place. Absolutely. So it was, it was uh, kind of inspiring. And so we look forward to see what, what work happens there with him at NAM and be in prayer for, for that.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. A couple of stories that we wanted to share with you um, on the state level. Uh, both have, happen to be kind of Florida based stories. Uh, the first one is Tommy green. It's a, it's a story, but also a point of prayer. Uh, Tommy green, who is the uh, well-loved executive director treasurer down at the Florida Baptist convention, um, had open heart surgery this last Thursday. The surgery went well, as far as we know. And um, just he is well loved in my
1: family too. He was my parents' pastor for a very oh, long time. Go. Yeah, and go. he is. So we we are praying for you, brother Tommy, if you are there listening. You but awesome. his his open heart surgery went well. They said, and so he's on the road to recovery. We hope.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Another story out of Florida: the Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention um, (ECAP) um, is. Uh, Moving forward, Laura, with some trainings there. It's going to start in in Florida and then uh, actually end up at Midwestern.
1: Mm -hmm. The Florida Baptists are sponsoring a couple of seminars there in Florida. Um, If you have been to the last couple of annual meetings, you may have attended uh, one of the events sponsored by ECAP. Uh, They have hosted a couple of uh, panel discussions and things like that at annual meeting. And this spring, they're hosting a series of seminars uh, called Safeguard for Kids that's really to inform not just churches and ministry leaders, but even parents uh, about how to safeguard your kids against sexual abuse. Uh, just telling them that strain, you know, don't talk to strangers is not enough because uh-huh. 90% of sexual abuse among kids happens by somebody with somebody that they know. And so there's a lot more to it than that. And so these seminars are going to go into just the information that you need, best practices, what can you do. And the first one is March 2nd at the Schultz Center in Jacksonville. And then there's one March 9th at First Baptist Orlando. And then April 4th, there's an online seminar. And uh-huh. April 6th, like you said, they will be at Midwestern in Kansas City. So you can get the information about all those events and register at ecap.net.
0: Yep. So make sure to check that out. Um, and then finally, kind of in our in our news block, Laura, uh, we want to talk about um, a couple of churches helping one another. And so you might remember back last year, we had a few stories about Mayflower Church, which is a group of Chinese believers who were facing significant religious persecution and um, just their their saga to find freedom and uh, to escape that persecution. Well, the Lord has led them all the way to um, Midland, Texas, And um, they have been taken in by the good folks at First Baptist Church of Midland, Texas. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, they got the name Mayflower Church because of the similarities that they experienced to the pilgrims that came over on the Mayflower because Mm -hmm. they had intense religious persecution. And then they had tried to settle in South Korea, and they were denied asylum there. And then they tried to settle in Thailand, and they were denied there. And so just like the pilgrims that came to the New Worlds they had tried to move to other places and just couldn't couldn't make it happen and so they just came far away and so that's what this this church uh started beca- became known as the Mayflower Church and even once they got to Texas they just weren't exactly sure where to settle and what they were going to do so now they're in Midland and First Baptist Church has uh, given them a place to worship um uh, Pastor Darren Wood said hey we're not using our youth worship center on Sundays we only use it on Wednesday nights and so You're welcome to use it. And when he said when they saw it, they broke down and cried because Mm -hmm. they had never had a building to worship in before. They had always been a house church. And he also said that First Baptist Midland is not the only church there in that area that's helping. There are other churches there in the Odessa Midland area that is helping with transportation and food and helping get their visas and helping them find jobs and and even a permanent church home eventually. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of cooperation going on there in Texas, too, to help out our brothers and sisters.
0: Yeah, very good. Very good. So make sure to check that story out. It's very um, just inspiring to, to yeah. hear what those folks have endured for the sake of Christ and and then also to be uh, moved at the Lord's compassion and how he's provided for them. All right. Here's our history moment, Laura, bringing the Super Bowl back around full circle. We look back to 2007 and 2008 um, when there was great. Was a great Super Bowl kerfuffle.
1: Yes. Oh, I love it. I love that word. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I actually remember when this happened, because I was actually working at BP during this uh-huh. time. So it's not exactly ancient history, but it's history, and it's okay. becoming more ancient all the time, I guess. Yeah. So in 2007, uh, Fall Creek Baptist Church in Indianapolis was one of thousands of churches hosting a Super Bowl party or planning mm-hmm. to host a Super Bowl party. Yeah, that's what they also thought. Mm-hmm. One of a bunch of churches that got a cease and desist letter from Roger Goodall wow. at the NFL. Saying, Through the flag. No. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no way. You can't have a Super Bowl party. Um, they just said you can't show it on any screen larger than 55 inches. Um, the letter it was sent January 25th, 2007, via overnight mail. And it said it violated the NFL's copyright. And the pastor there, Pastor Newland, responded that the church would, they had been planning to charge a small fee just to help pay for the food. And so he thought that might be the problem. And so he said, well, we won't do that. But the NFL said, no, that's not good enough. You can't do it regardless whether you charge or not. And so he wrote a letter to the NFL and it said this, the churches of this great country are often the very people reaching out to help those whose lives are ruined by alcohol. And yet, we are told that we cannot host an alcohol-free party to watch the Super Bowl while bars across America are free to do so, using the exact same technology we had planned to use and more. Okay. Oh. So, but that's I don't know not if, the end of the story. I know. I don't know if that letter is what did it, but the very yeah. next year, in February yeah. of 2008, Baptist Press wrote another story. Yeah. The NFL to allow to allow church Super Bowl parties. Yeah, so churches can resume hosting Super Bowl parties without opposition from the NFL. Commissioner Roger Goodall has informed Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah. Yep, he said for future Super Bowls, the league will not object to live showings yep. by houses of worship. So, so, pretty good. If I don't know if uh, Pastor Newland's redder- letter had much to do with that, but that was pretty effective.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So Senator, former Senator Orrin Hatch mm-hmm. pushed back.
1: That's right. Called,
0: called for an instant replay. In the champion calling. of
1: religious liberty. Oh, the no, I, calling, I messed
0: up. The calling on the field has been reversed. I can't remember. <laughs> man, I had it in my head a minute ago. Um, overruled. That's the word. Overruled. overruled.
1: Oh, man. Amen. I talked all over your pun. It's I'm okay. so sorry. That's
0: all right. That's all right. I, <laughs> that's
1: good stuff. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, it just kind of was happening on the fly. You should so. throw a flag at me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, so yeah, Orrin Hatch a, a champion of religious liberty yeah. even to the even today and There um, you go. So he was even back then in 2008 and got Now when you were a pastor, did you guys have uh, Super Bowl parties at your church?
0: Well, so yes, you know, when I was a a pastor and I'm using my air quotes cuz that that means like senior pastor, but where I think even more about that is being a youth pastor.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um I can think about several times that we had big youth group events where we, you know, watch the game. Super Bowl commercials were not quite what they are now back in the olden days, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I don't know if I would do it today or not because they're those commercials are pretty racy. Anyway, that's, yes. a, whole nother, that's, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> um, but yeah, yep. I definitely remember that, you know, uh, Reggie White is one uh, that, that uh, an NFL player that comes to mind who would record, you know, we used to have those halftime videos. We used yes. to. You used to have to buy the VCR tape and they would ship it to you. And, you know, so we would watch the game and then have our VCR set up to run the halftime program. And it was 20 minutes exactly or however long it's supposed to be and timed and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Well, maybe lots of churches are doing that this year. I don't know.
0: Could be. Yep. Could be. I don't know. So, but, but not your church because everyone's coming to your house.
1: That's right. (laughs) That's right. And, you know, there'll be TVs everywhere and people and kids and food and so come on anybody
0: yep, yep absolutely all right well i tell you what this has been a wide-ranging podcast um where we have really i'll say it again we, we have heard um witness to the power of uh the lord working through the cooperative program and mm-hmm. um anything from public policy out to getting the gospel to uh, those who have never heard it and everything in between and so um so just just encouraging to be reminded of the lord's faithfulness through his church again.
1: That's right. And uh, just like every week, but I think more so this week, there were so many things that we just didn't have time to talk about. Lots of good stuff. And so, uh, as always, I urge you to check out baptistpress.com. Thanks for listening.